Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining us for our virtual support group. For details, visit recoveringto.com. We know what you're going through, and we're here to help. We're recovering, too. Hey, guys, this is Liz. Um, Before we get into the episode, just wanted to give a little bit of a disclaimer. After we listened to it, we realized there were a lot of moments where we were laughing about the stories we were telling, Um, and we're not laughing because... The things are funny. Um, we definitely feel like it's serious subject matter, very intense. When you're going through it at the moment, it is scary, terrible, awful. Um, but we've had a lot of time and distance from those moments. And so it is easier to make light of it a little bit, but we're not trying to minimize anything related to addiction. Um, I think also some of the laughter comes because we are opening up and being vulnerable about these stories that can be kind of embarrassing. There's some shame in the fact that, you know, we went along with these things for so long or didn't realize what was going on. And so sometimes it's just easier to laugh about it. It's like that saying of you laugh to keep from crying. Um, So we just didn't want anyone to if you're new in the situation to listen to this and feel like we're making light of the situation because we are definitely not, we feel for you and we hope that you can get to a point where hopefully you can laugh again. Welcome to the second episode of boy problems podcast. I'm Alex. Hey, I'm Liz. And I am Elise. And today we are talking about, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, a lot of we, all three of us have, and many people that we've met, um, they kind of get. We get to recovery, or we get to this point with our family member, our spouse, in our case, and just kind of stop and like try to figure out what the fuck is going on, right? Like it just feels like total chaos. And so today we are going to kind of reflect on the beginning of um, our recovery journey with our spouses, talk a little bit about how, you know, how we found out that our spouses were addicts and when we kind of knew it was time for treatment and kind of give you the different perspectives of the three of our journeys. So Liz, when did you kind of realize Jake had a problem? Well, when Jake and I first met, I knew of him through, like, mutual friends, so I was kind of aware of his past history with drugs, and then when we met, we were at a concert, and we were both drinking, and then the more that we hung out, like, it came out that, like, oh, I've used a whole bunch of drugs, like, basically everything, and he even told me about heroin, and being on heroin, and getting off of it, like, using Suboxone, and how at some point in his life he had done like the AA and NA thing for a little while had done a stint of a rehab when he was like 20 and so I was aware of all of that but I did not really understand addiction a lot so I just thought oh okay well that's all in the past like he seems to be fine now like managing his drinking and you know no big deal and so did he say did he say he was an addict or say he had a problem with drugs or he what did he say? 
Um, I don't re- I don't remember if he called himself an addict, but he well, he definitely was like I was addicted to heroin. So I just thought like, oh, you were and now you're not. So <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. And okay. I also knew like you. you. Yeah. I knew like a lot of other people who have like experimented with drugs in college or sure. you know, have used drugs for a period of time and they were fine at that point so and I guess I just didn't understand the like severity of heroin maybe um because now looking back I'm like oh so many red flags the fact that he was still drinking and we would occasionally like smoke pot together he wasn't doing any sort of recovery those are all things now that I'd be like oh my gosh yeah. Not good signs. It's eventually going to get you back to that drug of choice. You know, what we've learned is that even if you necessarily don't have a problem with alcohol, like you're a heroin addict, but you're still drinking, it's like keeping those receptors open and just like priming it, waiting for the perfect opportunity for you to like dive back into it. Yeah. So what were some of your what the fuck moments? Um, <laughs> right? I mean, if that's where we are. Like. Yeah. Well, there were some times, like the first three years we were dating, um, it's a pre-recovery treatment center, um, we had several fights about related to drinking. So it wasn't to the point where I was like, oh, he's an alcoholic. But there were times where I'd just be like, why can he not just drink less right now? Or... You know, it would be like, we're just hanging out in the evening and he'd be like, oh, let's, I'm going to go have more drinks. Or like, we'd come home for drinking and he'd continue to drink. And there were a couple times where I found like he was like hiding, um, like alcohol. And of course, then it would always be like, well, I have to hide it because you're constantly monitoring me and like making me feel bad about what I'm doing. Like, I don't think I have a problem but you seem to think there's a problem. And so then, you know, like turning that on to you. So then you start thinking like, maybe I am like micromanaging or like, you know, he just drinks more than me. And like, I grew up, my dad, it was normal for him to have like a couple beers in the evening, like with dinner or watching TV. And I wouldn't consider him to be an alcoholic. So I was like, well, it's not a big deal that he's drinking. Hiding like vodka in his sock drawer or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, and then there were a couple like big fights that leading up to when I think right before he started using heroin, like we had gone out with a group of my coworkers to a homecoming game, which, you know, everyone like gets drunk, but still in a like functioning way. And I just remember, like, looking over at him and being like, oh, my gosh, can you not pull it together? Like, you're embarrassing oh, yeah. me. Oh, yeah. And then I discovered that I thought he was just drinking what everyone else was drinking, but he had already had a couple of drinks before, and then he had, like, something else and, like, a, like whiskey and a, a flask. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, why are we going so extreme? And then he just, like, disappeared. Oh, my goodness. And I spent the whole evening, like, all of my coworkers were like, oh, where's Jake? And I had to make up stories of, like, oh, he ran into some friends, and so he's hanging out with them. Meanwhile, I'm, like, texting him, like, where are you? Right. right. Whatever. Yeah. Finally, at the end of the game, you know, I'm like, bye, guys. Like, I'm going to go meet up with Jake and his friends. And I'm frantically calling him, and he answers, and he's like, oh, I'm by the car, and he's, like, slurring in a mess, and we just got in this, like, huge fight of, like, why do you have to be so embarrassing and can't control this shit? But still, even then, I don't think I thought, like, okay, he's a full-blown, like, alcoholic or whatever. He's, like, I think I like to think he is bad at managing his drinking. Yeah. He has a problem with drinking sometimes. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Do you have similar experiences with that? Like early on in the beginning, did it start out as something different before it went into? So I don't, do you, do you? So I, yeah, I do. So, um, 
with Steve. I had known when we started dating again. Um, I was 19. Uh, he was a little bit older than me. So I knew uh, that he had done a lot of different kind of drugs. He had said he had done everything. Again, started dating in college. So uh, smoking pot and drinking is like whatever. Who cares? Uh, he was already out of school at that point. So we would only see each other on the weekend. So yeah, sure. We're going to do it up whenever he comes down. We're all just going to party. Big party house. Uh, so... Yeah, so I, I didn't know um, that he, all along, ever since we first started dating, had been doing pills behind my back the whole time. Mm. I guess he had started pills yeah. years before me. So, um, agreed, and we would have all the same fights of, okay, everybody's drunk, but you're on a different <laughs> level. Like, let's figure this out. Um, and it was the, yeah, we had years of stuff. Yeah. But 100% it was... You're just at a different level. Yeah. And he would always say, like, my tolerance is so low, blah, blah, blah. And it's like... Or there'd be the comments of, like, well, why do you get to decide what the right level is? And... Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, you're trying to be be controlling in this relationship and make me be a certain way. And then you, you know, you start thinking, oh, maybe it is something I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Hashtag the money fucking starts. Yeah. 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 Um, but then the real, like, what the fuck moments started, um, like, in the spring of 2013. Like, I had started noticing things, like, where he was, just felt a little bit more distant, and it seemed like he was getting to work later at times, and, like, kind of getting in trouble, and it just was like, what is going on? Like, why, what are you doing with yourself? And then on St. Patrick's day night he had been at work and I was out with friends came home and then middle of the night I woke up and he still was not home and I'm like frantically calling him no answer eventually he does answer he's like don't freak out but I'm getting arrested I'm like what (laughs) the fuck I'm like wait this doesn't make sense how are you answering your phone if you're getting arrested and he's like well the the officer like answered for me because it keeps ringing (laughs) And so he got arrested for a DUI, which in hindsight, I later learned he got arrested because he was driving to his dealer's house to get heroin because he had already started on that path. But so he was honest about like, oh, I was drinking and, you know, a bunch of us after work went and got some drinks, like whatever. So that kind of started the things aren't making sense. And so as time progresses... Um, you know, he starts falling behind on paying his rent. And I was like, why are you not paying your rent? Like, you're getting paid. And he was like, well, it's all these court fees for the DUI and, like, the lawyer. And he had to do these breathalyzers that cost a ridiculous amount of week, uh, or a ridiculous amount of money. So I'm like, okay, this is kind of making sense, which allowed that con- to continue on right. for longer. Um, and then it would just be things like we're watching TV and he's like falling asleep, which now I know is nodding <laughs> out. And I'm like, why are you falling asleep? Can't you stay up and watch this with me? Yeah. He's like, I'm just really tired. I'm like, okay, this just doesn't make sense, but sure. Um, and then finally, right before there were things like would start going missing like he had a couple like musical gear records I'm like where'd that go and he's like oh I you know traded it in or I sold it and whatever and turns out like he was selling those things to get money for drugs um and then I think the thing that finally like broke this the straw that broke the camel's back (laughs) um he was about to get evicted. Like, I came home one day and found a letter. And I was like, how are you this far behind on rent? Like, this doesn't make sense. And what was crazy is I had even paid a couple months rent because I was like, oh, no, he's like, I feel so bad. He's paying all this money to Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, here, I'll cover your rent. And all I was doing was covering his rent to free up his money to go do drugs. Um. (laughs) And so then he eventually 
came home one day and was just like, so, yeah, I have to tell you something. And I was like, what? And he was like, well, I've been using again. Like, using what? <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, oh, you can't be drinking. Your... And he was like, heroin. And I was like, what? And I was just literally... So you didn't know it at all until numb. that point. Like, I did not know. I Yeah, it was just the things where it's so hard to even describe where it's just like little behaviors that just feel off and like there's this feeling that something is wrong yeah Yeah, but most of the time I just chalked it up to like oh it's all DUI related and there's a lot of stress yeah um which helped hide it and so then at that point I was just like we have to go do something you have to get help yeah so went into treatment so that's how we got to the beginning there yeah Ours was a lot different. So when I met Charlie, the first night we met, it was New Year's, and granted, we were all drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so smoked I weed. forgot it was New Year's, which makes your whole story <laughs> just the best. It was New Year's Day, and we we knew each other from high school, so we had just reconnected. So he went to Iraq for a while and then came back, and... Um, so yeah, we had similar friends and ended up at the same in this doing the same thing for New Year's Eve one one year, and um, yeah, I hadn't seen him in a really long time. I really wasn't friends with him in high school. We went to a very large high school, so I knew who he was, but we weren't like close. I didn't know much about him. So, anyways, that night we really hit it off, and like I said, we were partying. It was New Year's Eve, and so we were drinking and we were smoking and stuff. And so, anyways, we're walking. From our days in motel, (laughs) (laughs) and and it's it's so I mean it's just I mean it's so cold and also I'm walking barefoot because of course I'm wearing like heels that I just bought that like Forever Twenty One you know like (laughs) it's like one of those situations and it's it's just really comical when I look back. So, anyways, um, that first night on that walk. We, we just were, like, having a really deep conversation, which is so funny because it's so difficult for, for my husband to have really deep conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and so it starts off like this, and he's instantly, like, telling me about Iraq and telling me about how his mom had passed and telling me that he is addicted to heroin. And I was like, okay. <laughs> cool. I was like, thanks for sharing. I don't fucking know. And, but he was talking about it like, you know, he had just, not what I know now is, he had just gone to the VA to get into a drug tr- treatment program and was on Suboxone at the time. So he was, he wasn't lying. He was treating his addiction. He didn't know much about recovery at that point either. Like he had never been to a meeting and he had never had a sponsor or anything like that. So in his mind, like he went to the VA for help and they said, take this medicine. So that's what he did. And I just was like, okay. But again, knew nothing about addiction. I didn't know that he shouldn't be drinking or he shouldn't. I mean, to be very honest, I don't think he even realized that at that point. Like, he just probably thought, this is fine, you know. So, <laughs> so I found out, like, night one. And then we, we proceed to date. <laughs> You're like, this is a winner. I'm like, going to keep him. You're super cute. So, I mean, obviously. <laughs> So, so we move in together like three months later, which is also very funny. Oh, you didn't know that? I don't think I so. didn't know either. Okay. Um, so it, until then, we lived in different cities, and uh, it was it was I didn't know. I mean, obviously, I just didn't know much about his life day to day because we didn't see each other day to day. We saw each other on the weekends, and it was really fun. And he didn't really like to drink. Like I was way more in the going out scene at mm-hmm. the time, and. What I know now is he was on Suboxone and it really upset his stomach and so he just couldn't tolerate alcohol and he didn't enjoy it. So he didn't drink. Um, So we didn't do that and I was like, okay, maybe this is just, like he just doesn't do this that much. Like that's kind of cool. Like I I thought it was, air quoting, interesting. Like he was (laughs) more interesting because he didn't go out on the weekends. (laughs) (laughs) Our young selves. I know. And so, <laughs> so anyways, we thought it was a good idea to move in together. And that's really when I started to realize, like, when he lived on his own, there were a few things, you know, he didn't have a stable job. 
and I would call him in the like sometimes we would text like late into the afternoon and he would be just like waking up and I'm like that's kind of weird right like that's not normal um so there were little little things but I thought you know he just he's going to college he's living the college life mm-hmm. he worked in a bar and so he was out late and I just thought this is just his lifestyle you know that's just kind of what college age people do he also wasn't college aged. <laughs> um, that's so, so funny because similar. Yeah. I also made that justification of like, oh, we're living in a college town. This is college life. Like, I'm I'm fine with it right now. But Jake was not college age either. He was older, yeah, five years older than me. And then it was like once we moved to a different city and it was like oh okay like now we're growing up like I have a career job like yeah time to rein in the like drinking and things and I did but he didn't and that was sort of initial like okay this is totally weird <laughs> totally so um one difference in my story than yours is so we didn't party together a lot that mm-hmm. wasn't something he actually never wanted to do that he would want to smoke weed and, like, watch Mad Men, which, again, I thought, this is super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we move in together, and then I realized more, I mentioned this before, but I realized more about his, like, depression um, habits. Like, he would just get really depressed, and it would be, he was, like, an emotional roller coaster. It was really hard to know, like, when he was going to have a good day, and I just didn't know that before at all. Mm-hmm. And so that was super challenging at the beginning, just getting used to that. What I know now is, you know, he just wasn't well at the time. And he was self-medicating with Suboxone and weed and Mad Men, apparently. So, um, (laughs) uh, so yeah, that's, we, I mean, basically the first couple years of our relationship were kind of like that, you know, it was pretty normal. He wasn't, he he didn't use a lot. I mean, there. I found out that he had used, um, his friend, like, died of an overdose, we think, that he went to the military with. And this was maybe nine months into our relationship, six months into living together. Mm-hmm. Three months into being engaged, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got engaged six months in? Yeah. I, I didn't know, know that. that. My yes, we gosh. did. Yes, we did. <clears throat> he was really cute. Super oh. interesting. <laughs> Yeah. So eccentric, right? Well, don't so, worry. Here I am nine years later. <laughs> Still not engaged, so. I don't know. Yeah. That's another episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nothing was very eventful about that time. Then he's, his friend passed away, and he had reconnected with another friend from the military who I didn't know at the time but was heavy into drugs. And... Um, Charlie had already done what I, th- I didn't know then was about two months before we met, he thought he overdosed by IVing cocaine. Did I tell you guys this? Yeah. Uh, no. So I, don't know. I, I found that. So like his, his drug use had progressed to a point on his own where he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. kind of scared himself. And so that's when he went and got Suboxone and was on that when I met him and hadn't really done anything. Yeah, okay. Outside of drinking and weed since. So he meets his friend that's into is using and, and things. And then he starts acting weird. It's really little stuff. Like, he just, like, kind of similar. Like, he would just disappear. Mm-hmm. He would just be like, I'm going to go walk around the block with this guy. Like, okay, have a nice walk. Like, wh- I don't understand. Like, two dudes, like, walking around downtown, downtown city <laughs> by themselves. What are you doing? Also around the block for us was in the alley so (laughs) um so there was stuff like that and I kind of I found out then and um I don't remember the details this is really uneventful at this point so I find out a little bit and then he says he's gonna stop and he stops I think or something and then it wasn't for another few months that he wouldn't answer his phone so we had we were engaged like I said so we were doing premarital counseling and we were supposed to meet our counselor and he hadn't come home from work. And so I was freaking out because I, it was really unlike him and I didn't understand what was going on. So I kept calling and calling and calling. I mean, for like two hours calling and freaking out again. I knew nothing about addiction, but all I thought was he's dead. You know, like he's for sure dead. And your brain went to drugs. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it had happened a couple week, a couple months but prior that I knew he had been using again, and so I instantly thought something's gone on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it had. He used in his car and, like, passed out and fell asleep for, like, two hours. And then woke up and came home and was, like, nodding off. Like, it was bad. I mean, I didn't, again, didn't realize the severity of it, but he couldn't stay awake. So I'm, like, crying on the phone like having a counseling session oh, yeah. via the phone that at the no. end she's like I'm really sorry but I'm going to have to take your credit card number. <laughs> oh gosh. That's awesome. It was just so at the time I was like what the fuck is happening in my life? Like what is going on? I'm supposed to be engaged and like you know all this stuff it's supposed to be great. So I was so upset, so mad. He ended up apparently he had been using for a little bit before that. I don't know again. I don't remember the details. And so he said, you know, I want to um, go into treatment. So that was the thing. Like, he's going to go into treatment. So he went to the VA and he stayed. The VA doesn't have super great resources, our local um, one. They don't. So they did the best they could. And they put him in a psych ward for one week. <laughs> and basically, it was essentially an inpatient detox is what it was. Okay. So they had some support groups. They weren't necessarily addiction related. They were just kind of some emotional support groups. And he sobered up and got out and was back on his regular like Suboxone medication. And things were fine. So after that, things were like pretty stable for a while. I mean, probably close to two years. Um, so we get married and all of that. Um, I'd found out the like week before our wedding. Again, I was living in a different city again, so I moved to a different town um, about four hours away, eight hours away, a long way away. <laughs> I moved, and so I didn't know what was happening every day. We would talk on the phone and stuff like that, but um, I flew home for our wedding, and I found out like the night before that he had reengaged with that friend that he oh, was using no. with and like had been using yeah. the week before our wedding. So there was that, and I was like, okay. And he was like, what, I'm not doing it anymore. Like, it's done. All this. So it was a while of that. I don't even know if I knew. I probably still to this day don't know the full extent sure. of it. But, I mean, you, we can assume he was dabbling because he was on Suboxone. So he yeah. wasn't using all the time. So um, And he was maintaining his job, and he was working. So this was like a recreational heroin user at this point. So, um uh so there was that then the real what the fuck moment though was so a few years later we're married and we had he's coming off of suboxone so basically at the va well he kind of wanted to get off of it he hadn't used in a while and was like i don't really need to be on this he was losing a lot of weight and just didn't feel good on it so he was like okay i want to get off of this so they start tapering him down off of Suboxone, and he becomes a total asshole, <laughs> a total jerk. And so we were, like, in that, similar to how you were with quitting the vape, like, yeah. just didn't like him. He was yeah. he was kind of a monster. And so we weren't, our relationship wasn't really solid, <laughs> and so he gets off of Suboxone, mind you, like... They didn't say, you should probably go to a meeting. You should probably engage with recovery. Like, mm. none of that. So this is still before any of the recovery stuff. And you didn't know anything. No. Still at this point. Yeah, so about like all these years, he was mostly just not using at yeah, times. But, but he wasn't engaged actually in engaged in recovery right. and, like, working on getting better. But you exactly. didn't know this or that that was what's supposed to be happening. Exactly. I just thought, yeah, it's under control. He's on his medicine, and they he goes to a doctor once a month, and they check in on him, and they drug test him, and he gets another prescription for another month. So I thought it was, you know, the way it should be. So he gets off of it, and uh, there was a, a six-month period where things just got really chaotic and I didn't quite understand why he had just gotten off of Suboxone things were fine for a few months but then uh like he got fired from his job and so he worked at a construction site and I thought again he was still smoking weed during all this so I thought he told me they drug tested and I failed for marijuana I got fired it's on mm. a job site you can't be well that's 
not what happened. They <laughs> caught him using in a work van, and oh, I like he didn't he didn't tell me any of that for a while later. In fact, the night he got fired, we went out for drinks with another couple. Like this is just how much I didn't know what was actually going on, and. Yeah. So anyway, so he gets he gets fired and then he decides, I'm going to make a career change. I'm going to become a barber. So I'm going to go back to school. It's like, okay, let's make this a positive, you know, <laughs> really <laughs> fucking trying here. So he's going to, um, that does have a happy ending. He is a barber, getting fully employed now. So, um, so he goes to school and about three months into it, his schedule was, was different just because he Things felt chaotic, and I just attributed it to him being in a new environment, getting used to the schedule. He was also nervous about, like, doing well, and, Mm -hmm. you know, he was nervous about cutting people's hair, and it was just this transition. So I just chalked it up to, okay, this is really terrible. Also, he just kind of shut down emotionally. So it's like he just wasn't available at all. Like, I just would try to check in or talk, and he would – he just wouldn't. He was really disengaged from me entirely. Um, so that was going on. That was really hard. And I don't actually know why I put up with that. It was just a moment of like surviving for me. It was just mm-hmm. like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. What's wrong with me? Like, did I do something? That's always the thing. Did I do something wrong? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, come to find out he's just doing a lot of shit wrong and doesn't want to face up to it. So, um, so that was a hard, that was the hardest point for me. And so this is about six months from getting off of Suboxone. I, He's at school on a Saturday, and I get the mail, and it's a pawn shop thing, <laughs> like, from in the mail. And I instantly knew what it was, and it instantly clicked that this is what the fuck's been happening. Um, so, yeah, I basically called him and was like, I'm done. We're done. Like, you can come get your stuff. I'm 100% done. I don't want, like I said, because he had been, like, really disengaged from our relationship, and I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, come get your shit and go. And he came home and was like, I don't want to do this. And, like, basically just, like, broke down. And mm-hmm. it's like, will you stay with me if I try to get help and work on this? I was like, okay, fine. So then that's what led us to treatment. Okay. Was that episode. And, yeah, so that's how we got there. But one what the fuck moment that is really funny that it wasn't often at the time. So we were planning a birthday party for my dog. <laughs> and he was helping me get everything ready and he had taken some cash to go i thought he took 40 dollars to go get something for the party maybe it was 50 or something so anyways he goes to get something for the party and it comes back with the thing and i'm like all right cool so i'm looking for the change because we had other things to buy yeah and so i was about to grab it on our way to this party packing up the car looking for the cash and i'm like Hey babe, where's the where's the change from before? Where's the change? He's like, I don't know. Is it on top of the microwave? And I was like, uh, no. He was like, well, is it inside the microwave? I was like, no, not inside the microwave. Not behind the microwave. Not underneath the microwave. Where the fuck is the is the money? It was like forty dollars. And he's like, I don't know. I care. I was carrying a bunch of stuff in. Like we should check the yard. Maybe it blew out of my hand oh. and is in the yard. So, <laughs> so we're outside searching the fucking fence line for forty dollars. Well, when you do these things because you ask the question, they come up with an answer so quick that you think, yes. Well, of course they're telling the truth because why would they like lie to you? You don't want to think that they're lying to you, and then you right. find yourself searching the yard for money thinking like this is away. perfectly normal <laughs> yeah it, that's logical it blew away yeah <laughs> and then so we didn't find it obviously and he's like well it must have blown out of the yard but we're gonna be late so we have to go so it's still unresolved like what happened so 40 dollars just disappears and so that's one of the things that i look back on and it's i laugh now but it's <laughs> It's just really, it really shows just kind of how you're just in it. 100%. Your state of mind. Yeah. And you don't, you trust this person. And this is supposed to be your partner. And why would your partner take $40 from you? Yeah. And it's just all that. So, yes, yeah. An example of the trusting. So I mentioned that Jake was 
doing the breathalyzer test as part of his probation from DUI, his DUI. And there were a couple of times where he started getting in trouble for like missing breathalyzers. And he was like swearing up and down, like, I don't know why this is happening. Like sometimes the machine just doesn't go off. Like I'm trying to take them or I'm at work and I get busy and I can't. And so I'm sitting there just feeling so bad for him. Like, this is so hard. Like, how is anyone supposed to succeed when, like, the machine is not working? Or, like, what do people do when they have jobs? And so I'm like, poor Jake. Like, the world is against him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I find out afterwards, like, oh, he was missing the breathalyzer test because one time he was on the way to his dealer and he didn't have his breathalyzer with him. Or, like, he would be asleep from used and then crashed and missed it so I'm like oh well that makes more sense but like how you just naturally want to believe them and take their side right. of course and you're like then you look back on you're like I guess that really didn't make a lot of sense that yeah that was happening so I think that's the hardest part of this being a spouse in a relationship like this is you you think of a relationship and a marriage and a partnership as like this person is your equal partner and you're supposed to get through things together and you're supposed to trust one another and you're supposed to be on each other's side and addiction truly makes that impossible you know it's like you have to think of it as another force in the equation because it's not the way that you would have a relationship with someone quote-unquote normal is not the way that you have a relationship with an addict in active recovery, in active addiction, I mean. So, um, yeah, that was really hard for me to switch because back when I was finding, figuring things out and life was chaotic, I thought, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I not a good enough wife? Like, what is wrong? Why is my marriage not similar to other marriages I see? Mm -hmm. What, why does he not come home after work? And what, like, what's wrong with me? Like, is the house not clean? Like, stupid shit. Like, I would clean. Well, and also the, like, intimacy drops down. Yeah. Like, when you're using especially opioids. Like, sex drive is gone. (laughs) And so... Like we can get in a whole episode of that sometime. But, you know, then you're also sitting there like, what's wrong with me? Like, why yeah. doesn't my right. partner want to be with me? And yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just a mind fuck. Yeah, you're, yeah. And I think, too, and we've all talked about this before, like, you eventually start to stop talking to your friends. Yeah. So I think that plays into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really have friends at the time. I mean, my life was consumed by this correct yeah, yeah. So you'd left to lose all that I still just had, I still had friends but I think I was more careful about like what things I would share like I wouldn't necessarily be like oh listen to this crazy thing like I would just kind of pretend those things weren't happening but yeah. like I still like hung out with my friends a lot and my family it was just I was keeping some of that stuff back yeah so any what the fuck moments we've left out, we all kind of know each other's things. Do you have some more? Oh, yeah, you for yeah. sure have some at least. <laughs> um, yeah. So for, so we dated for six years before we got married. And um, Steve worked overnights and I worked every weekend. So we saw each other during the week for an hour and 20 minutes. And then I worked pretty much every Saturday, and so we'd see each other on Sunday, but it was just, we'd both sleep in, I was totally exhausted from mm-hmm. work, um, so Sundays were the only day that we saw each other, and nothing, you know, you just didn't do much, and he was always asleep, so it was like, you know, whatever. So, six years, so stuff was happening again, it was just he was always on a different level of drunkness or highness and it was like okay like I didn't really understand and then we got married mm-hmm. and uh, you know stuff was just weird but um, I'm in hospitality so my brain super went to wedding stuff and fun and pretties and so I wasn't really focusing a lot yeah you had a nice distraction I did um, 
However, there were uh, many times when I would wake up in the middle of the night, and again, he'd work overnights, but it'd be a weird time, and I would drive the 20, 30 minutes. When he should be home, I'd drive the 20, 30 minutes to uh, his work, and I'd see him. I'd find him either passed out in his car or whatever, and actually the night before our wedding, I had to... I found him in his car, which he didn't work in a very good part of town. There have been many robberies in this town. Um, and he was half in his car, half out of his car. His wallet was in his lap and his car was on uh, the night before our wedding. Oh, and my God. I thought oh I was pulling gosh. up and he was dead, but he was just asleep. And somehow, you know, he has, I don't know how much more weight on me at that time. And I somehow manhandled him into my car, got him somehow up the stairs to our apartment Oh and just God. laid him on the floor. And then I was delivering my wedding gown to the hotel, you know, doing all these things. And he woke up, like, as I'm walking out the door, and he's like, how did I get, what's going on? And I was like, you fucking passed out in your car. God! And so then I, and I just left. Um, there was also a... It's your wedding day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And then, uh, but still, you know, the wedding went great, and it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> We had a good time. Um, and I think right before that, too, I had tried to... He wouldn't pick up the phone, so I went to go out and find him. And I see him. I see a bunch of cop lights, and this is like 3, 4 a.m. see a bunch of cop lights, and there's Steve on the side of the road with the cops. So I'm the crazy fiancé, and I'm like, what's going on? Do you know to the cops? I'm like, ma'am, you're going to have to drive him home. Like, he's whatever. And so they pulled us back in the cop car and made us watch the dash cam video. And he was driving on the complete opposite side of the road. Oh, my God. He had no idea. Um, short story, that's how my mom was killed. And so that was always something very... Sense. So I'm watching sure. this. I'm like this crazy fiancé in the back of this cop car. Like, you motherfucker! You know, I'm just going nuts with these cops. They're just letting me go. Like, they're just, like, watching You're all like, of this. like, we don't have to take him to jail. Yeah. It's going to be right. bad going home. So then I sit in his car. They have to check his background or whatever at the back of his car. And he's talking shit about these cops. Like, fuck them. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, all this kind of stuff. So... They told me, don't do anything, just sit forward in the car. And so I'm yelling at him, sitting forward. He's in the back of the car. I'm yelling. He keeps saying shit. I keep getting further out the window, like, coming out like this. Um, I And I, later on. You can't on, see I, her, but she's currently waving I know. Her arms. I'm, yeah, I'm, like, going crazy. Like, she's going to attack um, someone. So I was, my, basically, my hips were out the window, and I was yelling at him, and he didn't understand what's going on. Anyway, so... Even saying all of that, I still didn't think anything was wrong with our relationship. Everything was fine. So then I start... That was just one really bad night. <laughs> yeah. So then I start counseling again, because I had taken a little break after college. And I was like, man, I just feel off. I don't feel right. Like, I don't know. Uh, at this point, um, my husband had gotten a day job. So, he, so that was great, because then we could see each other more. I was still working weekends, but still we had more time. Our evenings together. So, um, <clears throat> think, I just didn't feel right with our relationship. So I started my personal counseling. And I'm telling my counselor, and, and she was like, you know, you're trying to say, like, it's about your family, and you're sad that your mom's dead, but I feel like, really, you're not happy in your marriage. And I'm like, no, my mom's dead. Like, I'm sad. And she's like, no, I really think it's your marriage. And I'm like, screw this lady. And she, but she recommended a counselor, a couple's counselor. And so I was like, okay. So then I went back to Steve and I was like, hey, like, I think our relationship is great, but like, I just really want to meet with this counselor, you know, would you go with me? Um, he's like, no, I don't want to. And I was like, please. And so he eventually did. And so that kind of started us down the road of, of counseling. Um, with all of this, my dad's one request of my future husband was uh, to do the Dave Ramsey class together okay. so that we could get financially okay. on the same page all this kind of stuff. And uh, so then, so we did. So we were doing the money. We were doing the classes. He was falling asleep at Dave Ramsey. And, um, you know, I didn't understand why. So we're going, you know, month by month, looking at all the money. And it's like, what are all these transactions? Why is there so much cash coming out? I didn't understand. And, but he always had an excuse. He needed food. He needed a haircut. He needed to pay union dues. 
all this kind of stuff. So it all just kind of made sense. And then he was coming at me like I was some jerk, like trying to control his life. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's a grown up and he can manage his own money and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And then, you know, back to your point, uh, Liz, like going out with friends, like he was always falling asleep at their house. Like we were playing games and it was just like. I don't know, it just, it just never made sense, but he always had a good excuse. Like, there was always a good excuse, and, and he has sleep apnea, so, of course, like, Yeah, he's duh, tired. He's tired, like, he, his mask may not have been on right the night before, so, so there was a, a t- there was just years of that, um, and then, as we kind of got towards the end, he had broken his foot at work, and, um, you know, he was home for three months just and but he would always go out on drives he wasn't allowed to drive but he would always go out on drives and this was in the winter and where we live it gets icy and snowy so it was whatever and then he he just had a lot of car wrecks he totaled a lot of cars (laughs) how many cars have you guys totaled in your life one Uh, none and none for me that was the point is like yeah, right. That's yeah, he's, yeah, he's on car four or five for us right now. That's insane. Yeah, so there's a lot of cars. We never got, he never got DUIs or anything like that. Um, but one time I came, I was supposed to stay at work for um, like an after work party thing. Got a weird feeling. And I came home. Or I rushed home and of course he wouldn't pick up because he never fucking picked up when I would call. And... He gets off earlier than I do a few hours. So I come home and he's foaming from the nose and mouth. Oh, my And it had gone all the way down to his shoulders. And I was like, Steve? <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he just kind of gurgled. And I was like, okay, I don't think this is a this is good. <laughs> so I called no. 911 and she's like, what's your emergency? And I was like, hello, my husband is foaming from the nose and mouth. <laughs> Can you please come to my house and check this out? Very calm, very matter of fact. I started to clean the house because I didn't want them to come in and see my house was messy. I moved the coffee table so that the paramedics could check him out and they wouldn't be inconvenienced in any way. So anyway, so... so, (laughs) Yeah, but I left the foam and stuff there and I almost started to take a video of him because I thought, man, like I want to show him. Like you're being crazy. Uh, anyway, so then the, all the cops, I mean, there was like firefighters all around my house, cop cars like surrounding, I live on the corner. So, I mean, this whole fucking shit was just like, yeah, I was just, whatever. They pull me aside. All of a sudden they found all these pill bottles. I was like, what's going on? And so somehow somebody threw out suicide that maybe it was a suicide attempt. So Uh. that's kind of where my brain was. And Steve at this point has has sat up. I see him sit up on his own, and he yells, "This is America! Get the fuck out of my house!" To these cops and paramedics, what, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Who are in our home? And so then I yell at him, like, "I invited them in our house!" <laughs> I invited them. <laughs> so, so anyway, so the cops like everyone just tried to talk to me, and at this point, like, I am just so mind fucked because almost every night that I came home, he was blue. Yeah. He was blue every night. I thought it's just because he wasn't sleeping. He didn't, his, his, um, breathing never sounded normal. And so he's always blue. So I'd always run upstairs, get his, um, CPAP mask, put it on. And I would just sit next to him and just make sure he kept breathing and that he would stop turning blue. Oh my and goodness. so that happened for a long time, but uh, this is all normal. It all makes sense because obviously right. it makes sense. Just happening all the time. Right. So then paramedics were like, hey, we really need to take him to the hospital. And I was like, okay. And he's like, you're not taking me to the hospital. Like, you can't take me. I'm not going in the ambulance. Like, and he was like, you take, you take me in your car and we'll, we'll drive to the hospital. And one cop said, ma'am, I'm sure if he gets in your car, you're not going to make it to the, saying that he would convince me otherwise. Yeah, not yeah. that he wasn't going to live, but just that he would convince like, me otherwise. Yeah, you'll end up back at home. So they had to... They're trying to mess with him, and the, this cop is like, listen, I'm going to move this fire truck that's blocking your driveway. Get in your car. You go. You say nothing, yeah. you go. So I'm backing out the driveway. He is yelling at me to not go 
And I'm like, oh, God. God. So I just take off to the hospital, whatever. And then I show up in the emergency room, and they're, you know, they're like, here, he's in, you know, room five, whatever. I'm like, okay. So then I'm signing all this paperwork, and then this doctor runs in. He starts yelling some code, and this room gets flooded with doctors, nurses. They kick me out. I have to sign other paperwork. They take him to another room, like, that has more crap in it. And I'm like, what's going on? So then, anyway, so he has to be put on, like, a, I don't know, a breathing machine. And I was telling, they had a 24-hour nurse in there. I'm telling this 24-hour nurse, like, hey, like, I don't understand what's wrong. Like, he looks like this all the time. Like, this is normal. And she was like, honey, this isn't normal. So then we spend however many days in the ICU, whatever. And still at this point, I know nothing is wrong. There's no drugs. There's no... Yeah, I know you're thinking nothing. like, oh, it's a suicide attempt. Suicide. Or- so we said epilepsy. I'm like, a seizure. I'm like, okay. They're testing his blood. Who the fuck knows? Everything's fine. So life goes on. Stuff's still kind of crazy. Money's still going missing. It's like, okay. You know, and then, and then... And then, again, I come home, and he's just not acting right. So I call 911. They come over. He's yelling at me in front of them. And I'm like, and he won't go. He refuses to go with them. He won't let let them test him. Um, I got an oxygen finger oxygen reader because they said if his number got below 89 oxygen saturation, he should come back in. Mm. He was always teetering on that. But when we took him in when he was foaming... He was under 50. Oh, my God. (laughs) But we didn't know, right? I had no idea. So there was all of that stuff. And then somehow the marriage counselor, he had totaled a car. We had gone to um, the lot where cars were totaled. Mm -hmm. And we had a counseling appointment soon after that. So he was passed out in the car on the way to the marriage counselor. And he wanted to smoke. And I ran in and I said, I think something's wrong. I think he's maybe messed up. And so we get, they communicate that to the counselor. We get into the counselor and um, she straight up said, I think you're fucked up. And he said, I respectfully disagree. And she said, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't let her take you to the ER right now, I'm, I'm calling the cops on you. And he was like, okay, oh, wow. fine, I'll go. We go to the ER. <clears throat> His number is bad where they have to take him back. Yeah. They hit him with Narcan. And at that point, he didn't know. Right. I, what's Narcan? I don't know. But it, when they hit him, and now looking back, he perked up and he was pissed. He oh. was so pissed. And we had to sit and he kept hitting that fucking nurse call button. They kept shutting off the call. They just wouldn't respond <laughs> to him anymore. Wow. Um, and this is like on a Tuesday. I mean, this is right. not this is not a weekend. We hadn't been partying. Yeah. So there, yeah. So there was all that, and then, and then we had to, and then he was hospitalized again, like a week later. We had to go back to the ICU. I don't actually remember how that one happened, <laughs> but we were back in the ICU. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just all this crazy stuff. And then one time I came home and he was, he, there was lines of white stuff on, on a tray table. And I woke, woke him up and I said, what the fuck is this? And he hit the lines and he was like, it's Tylenol. I have a headache. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, it just helps. It just gets in my blood faster. Like oh, when no. you snort it. And I was like, oh, and that makes sense. You know? So that's probably one of my funnier what the fuck moments is I see him snort lines of heroin probably right or pills and uh i'm like yeah it makes sense it's tylenol like of course you snort it it gets to your in your bloodstream faster so there's that and then somehow we ended up at a drug counselor yeah and uh and then he didn't want to do treatment yeah and then and then he got suboxone but he got in a wreck with a semi yeah and it was bad it was like a whole scene he was fine the semi driver was fine everything was fine but then a couple days later, this all happened within 10 he days. And I see you. He did go to jail. Um, I just had a lot of really wild stuff happen in a very short amount of time. And, you know, all of this happening with really big things going on at work, too. Right. So, like, my job is super stressful, all of this. So, it's just, none of it just made sense. I had a lot of what-the-fuck moments. Yeah. Yes. And so, then somehow we ended up at the treatment center and I didn't realize until I got into the family meeting and was sharing these stories and everybody's faces was like, what? 
that I was like, oh, he has a drug... At this point, he still had never said he had a drug problem. Right. He was still smoking, drinking, because he never wanted to stop smoking pot. Um, but he did get on Suboxone just to help him because he was so afraid of withdrawals. Yeah. And so that's kind of how our stuff wow. happened. It's crazy. Yeah. I think it's... I mean, it's obviously like you can hear stories like this and be like, how the hell didn't you know? Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, yeah. like anyone listening would be like, how... Did you not know? Oh, 100%. Like, it was right in front of you. You should have known. And it's like, you kind of do. But you just have nothing to, like, point to. Right. Like, don't oh, this is what it. it is. You yeah. don't want to see it. You don't want to see your lover think, think that your loved one is doing this. Yeah, and it's really hard to come to terms with it. And, and then they do say things, like, that make kind of make sense. And you're like, oh, okay, like... Yeah, ty- if you, I mean, if you do snort Tylenol, it does get in your blood faster. I mean, that's not, <laughs> un- yeah, true. that's not untrue. We're not recommending <laughs> no, you go and try please. that, but. Normal people don't do that, but it's not untrue. So if you, I mean, if you're just kind of like looking for truth and then you're like, well, that's true. Right. I'm well, sorry. that's true. I mean, what, what's going Lit- on? Yeah. That's a good ex- example. Like I would literally find my my boyfriend is a creative like writer and music person and I would find like lyrics or like just things that he was writing down like about drug use that were pretty like detailed and I'd be like what is this he'd be like that was written like years ago and I'm like but this is in your new notebook (laughs) and then it would be like you just don't understand the creative process like yeah I might have written it now but I you know, I'm taking it from past experiences or it's made up. And then I'm like, why would you write this? But I have no way of right. being like, no, you're lying to me right There's now. There's no proof, right. I guess now I would have just gone and, like, got a drug test from a pharmacy. But, but even it then, didn't even come to mind. No, but even then, like, towards the very end, like, I got drug tests and it was like, hey, pee in this. And he never had to pee. Right. Well, you he just ne- talked yeah. about that last time. Yeah. It's like they'll find a way out of it. And that's just the nature of the disease. It's, it's, they aren't even accepting it. It's not, in their mind, they aren't. Like, they're (laughs) telling, it's just like, that's what they have to do to survive in their own world. And we're trying to survive in our world. And they're kind of clashing. And it just creates all this chaos. And their first thought is lie. Oh, 100%. Lie, cover their eyes. You have to lie to protect the drug use because you have. It's yes. the most important That's thing. That's the most, important, the most thing. important thing. Right. Oh, man. <sighs> so. Oh, yeah, and I had a drug dealer in my life, too. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Minor detail. But that, you know, and it was like, okay. So then I gave Steve 100 bucks, and, you know, he went out and... Yours? Yeah, I was really into it, man. I, I could not see. Yeah. Wait, you can't see the trees through the forest? Does that apply to this situation? I think so. I think so. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't just have somebody named Ricky. (laughs) 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 Saying, if you show up, I'll fucking kill you. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, on the phone, he was on speakerphone. Because I was like, I'm fucking coming to your house. Oh, my God. so wild. Yeah, why would I do that? Well, you're, yeah. Yeah, I think, but it shows, like, all of our stories are sort of varying levels of severity and examples. And, like, that's what makes it so hard is there's not, like, one clear cut like if they're doing x y and z it means this like right so you don't necessarily know everything to look for and yeah it just it makes it hard like if i were hearing you i'd be like oh well jake's not doing those things so it things probably are fine right or yeah who knows well i think that frog thing that are in the family i think that's something uh, like, if you take a frog and you throw it in a pot of boiling water, it's going to jump out. But if you put the frog in the pot of water and then start to boil it, like, their tolerance, mm-hmm. yeah, like, that is just how you are. Like, we didn't go from zero to a hundred. No. Right. It's a, it's a progression. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So. We probably need to wrap up. Right. But to end this. Okay. So, obviously, these things aren't happening like this now like we've learned a ton and if these things happen today we would obviously address them differently and handle them differently because we know way more today than we did back then yes Yes. um so (laughs) so what would what would we what would we do today like what like what would you have done differently in the situations 
like what would have been the right thing to do if someone's like okay I relate to pieces of all of his stories like what's the right thing to do I think you know hopefully finding our podcast is a good resource for people but going to an Al-Anon or a Naranon or you know seeking out a, a church group if that's what you're into or personal um, counseling personal counseling or you know contacting a recovery center and, and just maybe checking in I mean, I think in my gut, I knew something was up. Right. And I think for all of us, we kind of knew something was up. But but they covered it up. Right. And so if you found, I would say if you found us, if you somehow got to this podcast, something in your gut is telling you something's up. Right. Yeah, I think I would tell myself it hurt my, my personal worth and like my personal comp my like self-esteem and my confidence because I thought well he's saying everything's fine with him so that only leaves me and there has to be something wrong with me and so for a long time I was like well what am I doing wrong like I'm not acting right when he you know just so stuff that's so silly but really got to me mentally like I wish I wish I just would have trusted myself. Yes. And yes. done something like sought some help sooner. Yes. Because I just I believed him and not myself and that's a part of that codependency that we'll I'm sure we'll talk uh, about yes. a lot more but mm-hmm. basically codependency is like when you stick a thermometer in someone else's mouth to see if you're sick. Yeah. Yes. And um I th- that's what I was doing. It was like I was checking in with him on how I felt. Yes. Mm-hmm. His and mood affected your mood for the day. All of the... T- oh, for 100%. Yes. yes. No, yeah. All of the time. So yeah. if he was not present, if he was not engaged, it was something... It had to be something with me because yes. he was fine. And he... You know? like yes. So it was just this whole this whole thing. So I think for sure if you've ended up here, just trusting that and start asking questions and seeking some type of professional guidance someone on the outside because it yes. really like you said like your world was normal because it's yes. been going on like that for 10 years yes so <laughs> you it, it was normal and mine was mine was a little different but still like in the day-to-day it was like well that kind of feel this kind of feels like this is my marriage and well, i just have my, a shitty marriage for money that blew away in the yard right but, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah. So, yeah, that's my biggest thing to my old self. Like, just trust your own gut. Like, you have good instincts and just get some other, like, get a get a second opinion. I think for <laughs> me, um, like, knowing everything that I know now about addiction and recovery, um, I probably should have never started dating Jake in the, like, place that he was at mm-hmm. that time. Like, okay. knowing knowing that he had been addicted to heroin and other drugs, but was still drinking and smoking weed and not in any sort of recovery, like, maybe I should have been a little more wary of, like, oh, I'm just going to jump into this relationship and see yeah. how it goes. But but you don't know. Yeah, and you don't young, know that I mean, at that point. I was 24 when we met. And it's like, I yeah. partying and Same, drinking. I, I was and, 23, 24. Yeah, so. smoking weed. Like, that was normal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was doing those things, and I knew I wasn't, I mean, I don't, I'm not an addict of any kind. And, like, yes. I, I just, that, so that, those things weren't as, those things weren't red flags in the way that they really should have been. Because mm, yes. drug use was just a part of, kind of relaxing culture right like people did it to go like blow off steam so it wasn't so uncommon now no one was around doing heroin right but (laughs) that wasn't happening but i mean to hear someone say like oh i tried this drug and i probably have a problem with that drug and i stopped using that drug didn't send off the alarm bells yeah because that's just the stage of life i was in right and i think it was like oh wow look how honest they're being with me like right we're having really <laughs> so conversations interesting about this. yeah <laughs> and i guess something as as things progressed and i was seeing like weird signs or money i wish i would have like reached out to his parents or somebody who had gone through that before and been like these are some things i'm seeing like right you know and they might have been able to be like oh yeah those are red flags he did those same things 
when he was using, like that might have got us to a point faster. Right. But then again, he might not have even been ready at that time yeah. to yeah, address it. So. so I think that brings up a really good point that we can end on is none of us got well alone. Yeah. And reaching out is the first step to starting that journey of taking care of yourself and also Feeling. being able to help them take care of themselves. Yes. So thanks. That's we're gonna do there. Yeah. Reach yeah. out. Reach out. Seek help. You don't and have to be alone. Keep yeah. coming back. Keep coming yeah. back. Keep coming back. Like this episode? We hope so. If you want more from the Women of Boy Problems podcast, please join us at Patreon at Recovering 2. We will be releasing exclusive content, and we also have an option where you can connect with us every month for 30 minutes, one-on-one. We hope you join us there. Back to the episode. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.